Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Today, my guest is Perry Marshall. Uh, author of a book called Evolution 2.0, and author of several other books that uh, are really interesting, such as uh, 80-20 Sales and Marketing. And I've known Perry and actually studied under him for many years. Um, he's a great thinker, a real uh, innovative type person, and I think he'd be a perfect guest for the podcast. And today, we're going to be talking about his recent book, Evolution 2.0, which I just reread in preparation. And uh, He'll talk about the main theme of it, but what I get from it is that, um, you know, current thoughts about science is either science is everything or religion is everything. And there's this divide between the two. And his book attempts to bridge that gap. And the way he does it is very interesting. It's by showing us about bacteria and about our DNA and all these amazing things that most people probably have no clue about, um, the abilities of bacteria, the abilities of our DNA. So that's what we're going to get into. Uh, welcome, Perry. How you doing? Rich, it's great to be here. Um, it was great to see you about a month ago when I was in Austin, and I think we're going to have a really fun conversation today. So I can't wait to roll up our sleeves and dig in. Yeah. Well, if you would, can you um, give listeners the premise of the Evolution 2.0 concept and book? And we'll start there. Well, the, if I was to summarize the book in two sentences, it's Darwinists underestimate nature and creationists underestimate God. I got pulled into an argument that probably almost everybody's been in at some time in their life, which is like the whole creation evolution argument. And um, where I was coming from in, in this discussion was that I'm an electrical engineer and I've spent literally 35 years of my life, uh, probably closer to 40, building things, designing things, experimenting with things. And so when I looked at the hand at the end of my arm, I couldn't help but see what an engineer would consider to be an extraordinarily elegant design. Um, and, um, you know, I hadn't thought super deeply about it, but I certainly had noticed many times um, in nature how incredibly clever a lot of the systems and mechanisms, you know, whether it's uh, how a cicada makes that uh, buzzing noise with, uh, with an organ that it has, or how the human ear is put together, how the eyes put together, and so on. And so I, I kind of have this natural engineer's intuition that this all looks very designed, but I'm arguing with my brother, and he's saying, no, no, all you, all you need is mutations in DNA multiplied by millions of creatures multiplied by millions of years, and you get the appearance of design. You don't need any designers. You don't need any of that stuff. And I was like, well, if that's true, maybe it is. Maybe the biologists are right. Maybe there's something they don't know. But how come they didn't teach me this in engineering school? Because they never, like, Nowhere in, in, in electrical engineering, there was never a course where they said, so if you've got this design or the software program or something like that, and it's not working right, 
all you do is, is make millions of copies of it with variations and add some natural selection, and it's going to automatically get better. That never even came up. And like it, it drew a complete blank in my mind as far as an engineering principle. Like I've just never heard of this. Um, so what yeah. is going on? Yeah, Perry, if I if I may interrupt for a quick second, you know you're right. Um, I went to school for engineering, but chemical engineering, and we mm. learned about things like error propagation. You know, errors yes. uh, multiplying, you're getting worse and worse. I never saw a system that got better just left to its own to randomly do things. So you're right. 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 And so, and so, yes, there was a religious component to that argument, and we can talk about that if you want to, but I actually gravitated towards the engineering side of it because, and, and I, got, I got more and more perplexed um, because I, and like, I went manic with this thing. I mean, actually, Rich, I know you, I think we both have obsessive personalities. Uh, you you have to have an obsessive personality to do as many podcasts, you know, just on, you know, like you're doing now, which is great. Yeah. Well, I'm buying, I'm buying evolution books and biology books and books about information theory and books about mathematics. And, and I'm buying creationist books and intelligent design books and Darwinian books and like <laughs> blogs and every, you know, I'm going crazy with this thing and I'm going, well, you know, Okay, so they can lay the fossils on the table and they can tell an evolutionary story and that's fine, but they're telling me this is all random and accidental and I don't have any experience as an engineer, like none, none that would tell me that this would be an adequate process to refine and improve living things uh, no matter how much time. In fact, as an engineer, I said, the more time you have, the worse the problem is, not the better. Time is, time is not your friend here. Time is your enemy. And you just said it, error propagation. You start multiplying, multiplying errors. So I said, what? Is there something that us engineers know that the biologists don't know? Is there something they know that we don't know? What is it? Well, it actually took me about two years before I started to make sense of it. And um, right. now this is, this started 13 years ago and this kind of information that I'm gonna talk about today is much easier to find now than it was then. Um, but so, so as I went along, it was like, huh, nobody is giving me an explanation that makes sense to me as an engineer, yet I see a lot of evidence that evolution has happened. In fact, a lot of persuasive evidence, and I see that a lot of people usually seem to get to a point in this whole question. So I, I'm looking and I'm looking, and I finally found um, what I was looking for. Um, I found all this evidence that evolution was true, and most people would get to a certain point in this, and they would switch off. They would go, okay. They haven't explained this. Evolution is a hoax. I'm a creationist, or I'm going to be an intelligent design guy. And I kept going, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's something missing. There's something missing. Well, I finally found it. And, and here's what it was. Uh, this guy sent me a paper, and he says, hey, Perry, I think you'll find this really interesting. And it was a paper 
by a biologist named James Shapiro at the University of Chicago. And he was talking about how cells cut, splice, rearrange, and reprogram their own DNA. And he was talking about error correction systems and error detection systems. He was talking about how if you subject a cell to x-rays, which breaks and uh, messes up the DNA, the cell will actually repair the DNA. And he started talking about this fascinating woman named Barbara McClintock, who in the 1940s got corn plants to rearrange their own DNA. And I said, oh my goodness, this is the missing piece of the puzzle. This makes sense because what I, what I found, so let me, let me give you an, an actual example of what we're talking about here. So Rich, surely you've been to the doctor and they give you antibiotics and they said, finish the bottle until it's done, even if you think it's already done, like take it another four days and finish the bottle, right? Yeah, they all say that. They Yeah, they say otherwise the, uh, the bacteria or the virus will come back and uh, make you sick again. Right. Well, and, and it'll come back worse, right? It'll come back with a vengeance, and it, it might be that the antibiotic can't even kill it anymore because the bug becomes superbugs. In fact, we have a whole epidemic in medicine. Um, where this is going on, and we're, we're getting worried because there are some strains of bacteria that none of our antibiotics will, will work on. Well, what nobody ever told you was how this actually works. And so there's this assumption that people make. Almost all evolution books, textbooks, popular explanations, what they assume is that there's going to be natural copying errors in the DNA of these bacteria. There's millions and millions of bacteria. So once in a while, one of them is going to get lucky, and it's going to develop resistance, and that this is just going to sort of happen. I knew that there was no way that that was possible. And I knew this because I wrote an Ethernet book in 2002 for the world's largest society of process control engineers. It's called Industrial Ethernet. And it's all about how the ones and zeros go uh, across the wire. And people that aren't in communications have no idea how fragile digital data is. If you corrupt one bit or one byte, you can completely destroy a Microsoft Word document or a, a Skype packet, or you could drop a cell phone call and, um, and all your routers and cell phones and all those things they have incredibly sophisticated error detection, error correction systems that go on in the background that you're not even aware of making this happen. And, um, and, 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 uh, and, and so I had written a book about this, and I knew this, and I knew there's no way that bacteria are just accidentally having these mutations because that would never work. In fact, in fact one letter error in the copying of DNA can give you cystic fibrosis. Cystic right. fibrosis is caused by a one-letter copying error in DNA. Okay, and and so and so out of, what, out of what how many letters, is, by the way? Out of oh, how many letters? Out of three, out, out of out of a billion, it's it's literally a one in a billion error that causes this wow. horrible disease. Okay, huh. 
And and so and so I knew that explanation wasn't right, even though most biologists thought that it was. And when I when I got into the literature by Shapiro and and McClintock and other people like this, I found that there's this vast world. It's called natural genetic engineering. It's it's also um, commonly labeled now the extended evolutionary synthesis, where there is a whole network of systems inside of cells that not only protect and repair against damage, but in fact adapt and reprogram when there are threats. Um, in my book, Evolution 2.0, I call it a Swiss Army knife that has five blades. I actually describe these five different um, reprogramming and repair systems that cells have. And this is why evolution happens. It's not random copying errors, and it's not just billiard balls banging around in the universe, and it's most certainly not just natural selection or survival of the fittest. It is much more amazing than any of that. Uh, and it's all true. Like, this is actually not new. And this was what was astounding to me. So Barbara McClintock did those experiments in the 1940s. There's a whole body of literature from Russia in the 1920s about another system called symbiogenesis. Uh, there's something else called horizontal gene transfer that was discovered in the 60s and 70s. There's something called epigenetics that goes back to the 1950s. And most of this stuff has just been downplayed and sidelined um, by the people who have been in charge of the science journals and the conferences in most of evolutionary biology. But, but what you hear in the press is radically different and wrong compared to the actual research that biologists know about and work with when they do these modern things. So, Rich, like your show is about, yeah. um, you know, it's about gene therapies, and like all these really cutting edge things. Well, all of that stuff relies on the Swiss Army knife that I'm talking about in Evolution 2.0. You know, what's interesting is um, there's examples right in front of our faces that play right into this. So if evolution is supposed to take millions of years, then why, in a 10-day period or less, can bacteria learn how to resist a certain antibiotic if you stop taking it? So right then and there, That's there's an example that plays out all the time. And, you know, just one more example, um, Chernobyl, you know, where the radioactivity and the fallout happened and all that. I just saw an article that shows that scientists went in there and they find there's bacteria that are eating the radiation and living inside, like, the, the core of the reactor yes. where nothing yeah. could live, you think. Yeah, that's been 30 years. So it can't, there's examples that it doesn't take millions of years for things to evolve. Sometimes days, I mean, I think you're going to tell me that even less, hours maybe, seconds, I don't know. Hours, you know, like, uh, what? so you've got strep, and you're, you're going after the strep bacteria with antibiotics. And so the antibiotic is killing these guys. And so that little germ is floating around in your system that says, if I don't get rid of this poison, I'm dead. How can I pump this poison out of my body? And it'll go around. It'll start looking for a pump. And um, now cells have this thing called a plasmid. The biologists call it a plasmid. I call it a Dropbox folder. It's an open file sharing folder with a copy of 
the bacteria's DNA. And, and cells in your body have plasmids too. And it will find a cell that has a pump. It'll say, hey, give me that DNA. It'll pull in a copy. It will find the part that codes for a pump. It will splice it out, insert it into its own genome, read the code, build a pump, update its Dropbox folder, start sharing that code with all of its bacteria friends, and then start dividing off daughter bacteria that have pumps. And so all of a sudden, all these bacteria have pumps now. That can take as little as 30 minutes. And in fact, wow. there is a video that went viral uh, not long ago by Harvard University where they took, they took um, these bacteria and they put them in these sections of a Petri dish. And every section had 10 times stronger antibiotics. Um, and, and so by the time it gets six sections from one end to the other, it's gone up a million times. And they showed how if they introduced bacteria, it would kill most of them. And then they would sit there. They would do exactly what I described. They would sit there. They're rearranging DNA. They're massively making changes. Their mutation rates go up by a factor of 100,000. And they start rearranging DNA. And they start massively trying to change their physiology in order to resist the antibiotic. Then a few of them will manage to do it. Um, um, th then a, a few of them will, will manage to, to get the resistance, and then they'll go on to the next stage. And then when they go on to the next one, it kills off even more of them, but a very tiny percentage survive. And at the end of like three weeks, they had gotten a colony bacteria to be a million times more resistant to antibiotics than it had been before. And this only took wow. weeks. Now, this would never, ever, ever happen by accident. As a communication engineer, as somebody who understands digital code and wrote an Ethernet book, there is no possible way, even if you have trillions of bacteria, that anything like this would ever happen by accident. It happens through something called natural genetic engineering, specifically transposition and horizontal gene transfer and epigenetics is technically what these things are. And this is why you have to finish your antibiotics. And none of the standard um, like textbooks and popular accounts of evolution until very recently have been talking about this. Um, my book is literally the first book lit written in plain English that explains all this, but it's all true. Have you um, told anyone this example and they still say, oh, that's not evolution because it's uh, bacteria or because uh, there's still bacteria? Has anyone said anything like yeah, that uh, yes. to you? Yes, a lot of creationists will say that. So, you know, there's a, there's a whole group of people who are, they are fundamentally offended at the idea that one species can turn into another and turn into another and turn into another. And here's what I say to those people. So I, I have some sympathy for where I'm coming from. They are coming from. First of all, um, you know, I'm an engineer and like I've never I've never seen a, a Toyota Camry turn into a Lexus all by itself. Like a Lexus is built on a Camry platform, but it was human engineers that did it. And so I can appreciate an engineer who's going, I don't I don't really buy that story. Okay. 
Um, and, and secondly, you know, so I grew up super conservative, uh, Protestant, Christian. Um, you know, they taught me young earth creationism. They taught me the earth is 6,000 years old. Eventually I said, oh, well, I still believe in creationism, but I think the earth is young. Uh, or the old earth is old, but I, I still think probably, you know, God has to make different species. I don't, I don't know how you get from like dogs to giraffes. Um, but, but I, I, it, and it, so if that's where you're coming from, I, I just, I want to give you a little thought experiment. Um, because a lot of people feel like they equate like evolution equals atheism. This is a, like a very common way of thinking. So I want you to think about like this. I went, and this is for everybody, really. I, I want you to imagine. So, Rich, do you ever use DOS, like yeah, DOS years operating ago when I first back started in the day? Yep. Okay. Yep, I so, I want you to imagine DOS comes out, 1981. Bill Gates and his friends they they put that product out there. I want you to imagine that ever since then, ever since you were a kid, nobody at Microsoft, no engineer, no software programmers, ever touched Microsoft DOS ever again. And I want you to imagine that DOS developed a Windows desktop, developed an Ethernet connection, developed a web browser, developed Microsoft Word, developed Excel, developed antivirus software, um, auto-updated itself every time there's a new virus that came out. I want you to imagine that DOS did this by itself as an adaptive response to all the situations, all the new hardware, all, all that stuff, okay? Now, if that actually happened, if Microsoft actually put out a product that did that, would you be impressed? That'd be amazing. Microsoft would need zero employees. Absolutely. They would need, like, yeah, literally, they would need zero employees and their software gets better and better every year. Well, yeah. that's what life does. Now, if you put a gun to Bill Gates' head and said, I want you to use random mutation, natural selection, and genetic algorithms to improve Windows, and you can't use any programmers, well, whatever your time limit was, Bill Gates would have a bullet in his head, and it would be dead because it wouldn't work. Yeah. Okay? So anybody that tells you that evolution is random and accidental doesn't understand evolution. Now, that sounds like a very strong statement. And what I'm really saying is there's a lot of biologists who don't understand evolution. Yes, that is exactly what I'm saying. But you can verify this for yourself. If you go to scholar.google.com, which is great, you know, great place for peer-reviewed research, go to scholar.google.com and type in transposition, type in epigenetics, type in horizontal gene transfer, and see how many thousands of articles come up. These are the ways that cells evolve. This does not happen by accident. And, and so there is a massive revolution happening inside of evolutionary biology right now where the whole field is changing. There is an old guard. There's a new school. They're fighting it out. The old guard is losing. Um, and um, I know this because I went to the Royal Society's Evolution Conference in November 2016, and I like literally witnessed the Protestant Reformation of evolutionary biology. This stuff is <laughs> radically changing, and it's not possible to hang on to the same theory because the old theory just simply doesn't work. And so it, 
and this really changes your whole view of the world. Like if, if you thought that the way that a single cell turned into us was a bunch of ra random accidents, that is totally wrong. It's amazingly a uh, directional process. And, you know, we're, we don't even know how directional it is. We just know that at a molecular biology level, there's an incredible amount of engineering that goes on behind every evolutionary step. So uh, I've got a question that's probably really difficult or impossible. Um, if bacteria can change themselves so dramatically, how come people can't or animals can't? Why is there a, um, or is there a threshold above which uh, an organism gets complex enough where they can't do these amazing things bacteria can do? Well, so there's, there's kind of a yin and yang to the answer. Um, so part of the answer is that bacteria are extremely fluid. Um, they, you know, there is not even really a definition of species for bacteria because bacteria can just change and change and change and change. Um, whereas, you know, a, a multi-celled organism, it, there's, there's two kinds of DNA. There, there's germline DNA, which is the reproductive um, DNA. And then there's somatic DNA, which is all the, the DNA that gets copied into all of your cells. And so in order for evolution to happen, what happens in the somatic DNA actually has to get copied over to the germline DNA, and that actually can happen. This is a relatively new discovery. Um, and so there are limitations on what can be done. But I said there's a yin and yang. That said, as organisms evolve, so does evolvability. And so in a, in a certain manner of speaking, larger animals and humans actually have more inherent capability to evolve than bacteria do. And so that's why you see evolution speeding up through history. You have a couple billion years where you got nothing but bacteria, and then the complexity starts increasing, and then it starts accelerating. You know, humans have only been around like, I don't know, 100,000 years or something like that. Well, it's just like technology. So if you want something to compare it to, it's compare it to human technology. You know, you had, you had millennia where all we had was wheels and rocks and sticks and fire and stone tools, but then one tool gives you the ability to make more tools and more tools give you the ability to do more things, and so technology accelerates. And so actually, technological evolution and biological evolution are very, very similar. They're not really that different from each other. So, again, probably impossible questions, but I ask because you spent a lot of time researching. <laughs> what do you think the or where do you think the origin of life came from? And after you answer that question as best you can, what drove what? early life to become more complex life? Bacteria to become, uh, you know, the first fish or land animals. Okay, so that that's a great question. Um, so the first one is, you know, where did life come from? Well, so before I started discovering all of these Swiss Army knife mechanisms of evolution, I was looking at DNA and the genetic code, and I was looking at my Ethernet book, and I'm going, these two things are very, very, very similar. In fact, it was scary how similar the structure of an Ethernet packet was compared to the structure of DNA. 
And I saw nothing but incredible engineering, okay? And so my, my, my conclusion was, you know, like God must have done this. Well, you know, I, I still believe that in a certain sense, but I'm not, I, I, I kind of wonder if that isn't just a continuation of a process that might go all the way back to the Big Bang. Because as we know, the universe itself and all the constants of, of you know, the size of the protons, the size of the neutrons, the expansion rate of the Big Bang, all of that stuff is so precisely tuned. Like a lot of those numbers, if you changed them by 1% or 0.0001%, the whole universe wouldn't work at all. It would just be a mess. Um, and physicists know this. Um, and it's called the fine tuning of the universe. You could just Google it and you'll see all kinds of people arguing about this, but it is a fact. Like there is no denying that Almost any other way of adjusting those con constants doesn't get you anything at all. It, it, it gets you like, you know, like a lump of coal, basically. Um, and so we know the universe itself is incredibly fine-tuned. And, you know, for quite a while, I was content to just say, yep, you know, God did it. That settles it. I'm happy with it. But I started getting more and more intrigued by well, what if you can actually parse that and peel it a little more? And so I created a technology prize around this, and it's called the Evolution 2.0 Prize. And at the, at the moment that we're speaking right now, that prize is at, sitting at $3 million. And we're looking for anybody that can figure out how to get from chemicals to code. If you can start with chemicals and end up with code without cheating, by some process, then any way you can do it, we'll write you a check for $100,000, and if it's patentable, we'll write you a check for $3 million, and we'll pay for the patent, and we'll get all the patent work done. Uh, and we'll wow. part you, partner you into our company so that as the thing grows, you'll continue to benefit. And so we're very serious about this. If you go to naturalcode.org, you can see the prize specification um, of what it is that we're looking for. And, and so I've, I've been having dialogues with various origin of life scientists and, and people like that, because I think if we can solve this, it will be one of the top 10 most important discoveries in, in the history of science. Now, Rich, you asked another yeah. question is, okay, so what caused these cells to evolve? Well, um, we all know, any technology person knows that you could make, you could write a computer program, but just having copies of it sitting around on the internet is not going to make it evolve, not going to make it improve. In fact, everything we have experience with just degrades over time, but somehow life keeps improving with time. And again, people have taken for granted that this happens by accident, but it doesn't. It doesn't do that by accident anymore then Windows evolves by accident. Windows only evolves by directed purpose. Well, life is intrinsically purposeful and directive of itself. And so I think, I think that the answer to this question is one in the same of where it originally came from in the first place, because it possesses a, a, an inherent directionality. And so I believe if we discovered 
what that source of directionality is or how that mechanism actually works, I think we would uncork a huge breakthrough in artificial intelligence, like huge, huge, huge. Right. Um, and so that's part of what we're looking for. Okay. That's amazing. You have this prize. And how, uh, how long has the prize been public? Have you had any uh, entrance to it yet? Um, yeah, it's been out for a year and a half. Um, and I've also been accumulating some new investors, and we got some more things that are planned that I can't announce yet. But I've got I've got four submissions. If you go to nationalcode.org, you can actually read some of the submissions that we have. The the people that posted those. Um, when when we receive a price submission, we do it under non-disclosure. But when we we said, hey, you know, this doesn't qualify, and here's the reasons why. Do you mind if we put this on the site so people can see it? And all of those four people said, yes, that's fine. And so you can actually see the past submissions that we've gotten. It's right there. Um, and it, it might add some clarity to what we're looking for and what we're not looking for. Okay. Well, we're, <laughs> we're talking about pretty big stuff here. So what This I, is very big listeners. stuff. This is like... This is like I this is one of the most fundamental problems of humanity. Um it's one of the most fundamental questions in science. And you know, I, I have to make a comment here. You know, about ten years ago I was listening to this NPR radio station and they had Richard Dawkins on. He's 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 written the world's best selling books on evolution and he's a super famous atheist. And somebody one of the um callers calls on the radio and says so where did life come from? And Dawkins, uh, he doesn't miss a beat in his British accent. He goes, it was a happy chemical accident. And I okay. listened to that. And I said, it's a what? You, you, you got to be kidding. I can't believe you. And like the radio host, like he just went on. The whole thing just went on. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding. Right. Like you don't actually believe that. How How would any self-respecting scientists go, oh, that just happened by accident. Like, you know, if you're a scientist, you can't yeah. say, happy chemical accident, uh, give me my grant money, let's have a three martini lunch. Like, you right. can't do that. And um, and I was just appalled at the lack of respect that he had for one of the most important questions. Of course, he had an agenda, which is the sweetness under the rug and to have people not asking these kind of questions because it's not like the atheists have any answer to this. And so I'm not saying you should like jump all the way to God. Like, you know, maybe there's a way that this happened and maybe we can discover it. And I'm all for that. Uh, there's not, there's no, there's nothing incompatible between faith and science. The two actually go together just fine. I realized, you know, well, you know, read, Read my book if 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 you think I'm lying to you. Read read my book and and decide for yourself. But um, but but we have to respect these questions and we have to give good answers to these questions, not cheesy answers. So this is one of the reasons I did the prize. I was I was really disappointed at how many people are just trying to sweep this under the rug, make up some story, uh, maybe collect a check and move on. Um, so so I put this prize together. Okay, well, very good. Um, with the entries, are you reviewing them yet? Have they held up to muster, or are you saving them for a particular time? 
Oh, you mean the ones I've already got? Yeah, the four entries. Yep. Oh, well, none of them passed. I mean, when when they come in, we review them and, you know, we're we're pretty responsive and, you know, we we give people replies and, you know, they didn't actually solve the problem. We we have a specification that we've written and it's got these 10 things and probably none of the submissions we got so far passed more than three or four of them. Um, but, you know, we're, we are very interested, like if somebody can solve this or, you know, maybe hmm. people will, will solve something similar or something related. Um, my investment group is interested in, you know, not just that, but really a lot of different possibilities that could come from this. And, um, you know, I just, I just think it's, it's really exciting. And, you know, look, we have this huge mystery. It's staring us in the face. Instead of making up stories, let's see if we can solve it. And I'm sure that some huge technologies will come out of this um, that will be helpful to humanity. Okay. And so just to be clear, you're either looking for a naturally occurring code or a system that can evolve on its own without really any human intervention. Yeah. Either one of those would be really interesting. I have a suspicion that the answer to both questions is the same, but I don't know that for sure. Mm. Um, you know, if you look at, there's a, whole, there's a whole field called genetic algorithms, and it's computer programs that evolve more sophisticated computer programs. Well, they're hard to use. Um, some companies are getting better and better at this. Uh, none of these programs emerged accidentally. <laughs> um, they were all, very carefully designed by human engineers. Um, and, and so, like, the idea that just, you know, random purposeless processes can drive evolution is just fiction. It, it's not true. But there is something, there is something that cells do that we do not understand. So we can describe what they do, like, in sort of outline form. We can see, oh, it's moving this gene from here to here. It's editing this part of the chromosome. It's doing this with this RNA or whatever, but we don't really understand why they're doing what they're doing. We don't really understand the full vocabulary of the genetic language, and we need to understand these things. These are super fascinating uh, fields to study now. Yes, you think um, the latest and greatest technology is going to be found in biology and maybe perhaps yes. bacteria? Yes. Um, you know, look, one blade of grass, has 10,000 times better technology than anything in Silicon Valley. Hmm. Um, bi uh, biology is vastly superior to anything humans are doing. And so I, I believe that all of the breakthroughs that Silicon Valley is looking for are like literally not only right under our nose, but sitting at the end of our nose, just waiting to be studied. I think, I think we understand 5% of how cells work and how evolution works. I'd, I'd put it at 5%. I think we can study this oh. stuff for hundreds of years, and we're just at yeah, the, the very amazing, beginning. Yeah, and the, well, we'll end very soon, but one interesting thing I thought about is life itself um, temporarily fights entropy, you know, the, the tendency for everything to fall into, into disorder, and life is really the only thing that uh, temporarily uh, puts entropy on the shelf for the lifetime of uh, the given organism. 
That's that's right. And so entropy is the tendency to disorder. In fact, there are two kinds of entropy. There's thermodynamic entropy, which is what most people are familiar with. It's it's when your toast gets cold, when it pops out of the toaster, it doesn't get warmer, always gets colder, that's entropy. Well, there's also something called information entropy. And information entropy is identical, the mass is identical. And and it basically it says, if you record your favorite Beatles album onto a cassette tape, that hiss on the cassette tape is never going away. You're never getting rid of it. Once it's there, you're stuck with it. And the and the missing information that that hiss is, is covering up can never be regained. Well, cells, life reverses thermodynamic entropy and information entropy. It does both. You know, so the 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 growing of an embryo into a fully grown human is a massive example of reverse entropy is higher and higher levels of order as you get smarter as you go through life and learn more and more things that's a continue reversal of entropy and then when cells repair their dna or when bacteria evolve that's a reversal of information entropy so how do they do this how do they do this? We don't know, but we know that they do it. And so I, we, we know 5%, no more than that. And there's a lot of really exciting things if we can be humble and learn from nature. Mm. Well, we can talk for a long time, but uh, we're out of time for right <laughs> now. For so I want to give, yep. yeah. so give listeners some resources. They should definitely pick up your Evolution 2.0 book. As far as I know, it's on Amazon and Audible and Kindle, and they can go yep, there. It's an audio book. And then, yep. And then for the prize, the uh, Evolution 2.0 prize, again, can you give the URLs and places they can go to find out the, the spec and to compete? You can go to naturalcode.org, and you can take a look at our specification, and then you can click to the homepage, which will take you to cosmicfingerprints.com. You can get three free chapters of the book, and uh, my blog is there. There's, you know, interviews with interesting people. Uh, there's a lot of different subjects, a lot of things to explore. There's a lot of stuff about science and faith, um, and I think you'll really enjoy it. I, I think I think that when if when you really start to see what's really going on in the human body and in nature you will be astonished. Like, oh my word, this is even more amazing than I ever knew. Mm. All right. Well, Barry, this has been awesome. I think it's, uh, if it's not eye-opening to people, then, you know, they're crazy. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well, you know, you know, Rich, I could, I could even go to like a wedding and I can tell and, and get into a conversation about this and the whole dinner table will be sitting forward going, Oh my word! Like nobody have told me this, and it it it's such a different conversation than like Darwinists arguing with creationists. That argument is like really kind of obsolete. The truth is, they're both right about some things. They're both wrong about some things, and both sides are really leaving out most of the story. And so I think if I what I hope this this book will do is it'll move this whole conversation to a new place that it's never been in before um, so that people can really see how amazing life is. Excellent. Uh, last question, and then I'm going to, you know, thank you for coming is uh, 
is there going to be a sequel to your book coming soon, or do you feel like you've encapsulated uh, enough of what's inside of you that you wanted that you wanted to get out? You know, I think the next step for this thing is taking the Evolution 2.0 prize to a higher level. Um, I think the book, you know, it came out a year and a half ago. I'm very happy with it. In fact, there's very little in the book that, as far as errors or anything like that. It's up to date. Um, but I think what really the big next step forward is, you know, we're, we're about to take the prize to a higher level of visibility um, in, in several different ways. And I think we're going to bring some really interesting conversations. Um, and so, you know, if, if you get on my email list uh, or, or, you know, subscribe to my Facebook feed, you'll start to see these things as they unfold. It's going to be very, very interesting. Sounds good. Well, I can't wait for the uh, next evolution and what you're doing. Pun intended. Well, Rich, so. it's, it's, it's really a privilege to be on your podcast. And, you know, I, you've had Thank some you. serious, like, badass people on this thing. And so I'm, I'm really <laughs> proud to have been one of them. And just, uh, you. you know, keep doing what you're doing and stay curious. Okay, well, Perry, thanks so much for coming. I appreciate it. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.